But uh, praise God. Hey, I got to kick this thing off several weeks ago, our summer revival, and I get to end what we're calling our summer revival schedule. But I'm here to tell you this. What we've experienced over the last couple weeks is not the revival that God's got coming. I know there's a revival coming greater than any of us have ever imagined. God has such great things in store. I'm telling you, there's a day coming where there won't be a parking lot left, a parking spot left on this parking lot. There's a day coming there won't be a seat empty in this sanctuary again. There's a day coming that every victory campus will be so full, people will be waiting in line to get into the services. There's a day coming that I don't believe it's just going to happen in the Victory Church, although this is, I believe, the greatest church on the planet Earth. I believe that God loves this church more than He loves any of the other churches, but it's just my opinion. But I can tell you this, there's not enough seats in churches in the city of Camden, El Dorado, Pine Bluff, Monroe, which we just kicked off about three weeks ago, praise God, had about 120 in attendance. Give God a huge horn blow for that. Because the kingdom of God is going forth. But I'm telling you, there's not enough churches to handle what God's about to do. You say, well, Craig, if we keep hearing this thing. You know, back in, I'm just going to jump into what we're going into today. Um, because I don't have a whole lot of time. And I got three simple things I felt like the Lord told me to tell you. Good morning, Brother Greg. All the way from Edelray to campus. <laughs> He's our, I'm sharing with you what I believe the Lord gave me to share last week in Eldorado. And I wanted to change it. was going to shift it up a bit. But felt like the same three things I felt like the Lord told me there. You need to hear here too today. So we're going to jump right into it. I don't know if you remember where you were on 9-11, but I know exactly where I was. I was in Lakeland, Florida, and I was at a Christian school preaching a high school chapel. And when I was preaching, it was a normal day when I got up and left that morning. And right in the middle of my message, I thought that I was doing a pretty good job. He said I was keeping the high school kids' attention. But my senior pastor, whom I was working for at the time, walked in the back of the sanctuary came down and sat on the very back row. Well, when that happens and you're a chapel teacher, it's never a good thing. And I thought, oh, my Lord, what have I done? I'm in trouble. He must be checking up on my doctrine. He must be seeing if I'm preaching right. Because he's never sit through one of my sermons. So it put the pressure on me to get that message right, get it done. I pushed for a big response. And got to be honest with you, high school students weren't really ready to uh, commit it that day. And so I was thinking, oh, Lord, when it was over... I got up off the stair, walked down to where he was, and he said, you got to come with me. Something's happened. We walked back to his office. He had a TV on, and we were seeing the second plane begin to hit the World Trade Center at that time. And at that moment, history changed. You know, we sat there for the next six hours watching as, you know, the tragedy unfolded of 9-11. And, you know, it's like that moment in time was impressed so deep on me I can remember the emotions and the feelings. I remember the sights and things that I saw that day because history changed forever. And just about everybody I know when I talk to them about where were you on 9-11, they can tell you almost to detail what it was like that day, what it was like when and where they were doing and what was going on when that first plane hit the World Trade Center because it changed the world. You know, the thing about it was the next Sunday... In America, the Sunday after 9-11, 
was the highly was the highest attended Sunday in churches around the nation to history at that point. Because something had taken place that changed the world forever. We didn't know if we were at war. We didn't know if, you know, um, just if terrorism. We didn't know if there were more planes. We had no idea what was taking place and what had happened. But people knew this the next Sunday. They better get to where God is because we need Him desperately at this minute. I'm telling you this. There's a revival coming to America and around the world that there's not enough churches. I truly believe this with all my heart. Churches are going to have to have more church services than just Sundays and Wednesdays. There's going to have to be more services through the week just to handle the amount of people that are wanting and trying to get in to hear what God is saying and what God is doing. My prayer is this, though, that it doesn't happen the way it happened at 9-11, that it's not the day after something took place that people realize they need God because there's an event on our horizon that's about to take place that the whole world's going to have to stand up and take notice to. And that's the event called the rapture of the church. We're only a couple minutes, I believe, in God's timeline away from the Lord returning and coming to receive His bride. And I'm telling you, the day after the rapture, there will be more people in church than we have ever seen in church before. There's going to be more people trying to get to where they can hear from God or know what God's doing than we've ever seen before. And so I believe we are right on the cusp of the return of Jesus. I believe you say, well, Cricket, we've been hearing this for a long time. I totally understand. You know, you, you remember the, the story about the boy that cried wolf? You know, if you don't know it, it was, there was a little boy that was put in the city. There was a little town, and it was being menaced by a wolf. A wolf kept sneaking in and attacking people or stealing things from homes. And so they put, the city came together and they put a little watch party together. And they decided, you know, what they would do is they would put this little boy up and his job was to watch for the wolf. And when the wolf came, he was to yell wolf. And when he yelled wolf, all the men in the city would come out and they would either capture the wolf or they would kill the wolf or whatever their plans were. So his job was to Watch for the wolf. They were all to be ready. So when the wolf appeared and the little boy took his position seriously. And so he got his job and got in his place. And what he decided was that I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch. But then he got to thinking, well, what if the wolf comes and I can't yell out enough for everybody to hear and the men don't come. So I better give this a test shot. So he was sitting there. He looked around. He said, wolf. And all the men stopped doing what they were doing, rushed out to where the boy was with all their weapons and pitchforks and to run off the wolf. And when they did, they noticed that there was no wolf. And the little boy was like, "Woo, it worked. But all the men were like, hey, 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 you know, you're not supposed to do this unless the wolf is here. So they went back to their job. He said, I was just testing to make sure. And so the next day he got in his position to do again. And when he did, he thought, you know what? Well, they thought that yesterday, but what if yesterday messed up today and they uh, cry wolf and they think I'm just testing again. They don't come, so I better try it again. He yelled wolf, and all the men ran out to make sure they could run the wolf off. And again, there was no wolf. Well, the story goes, this happened day after day. Just him being so un- unsure that the men would be there when he needed them. He just kept testing and testing and testing and saying and saying and saying to where eventually the men lost their, their um their enthusiasm to come when the boy called and it came for sure one day the wolf appeared and when the wolf came out 
He hollered wolf, but the men had been so desensitized to him testing and calling and yelling wolf that no one paid it attention. And the little wolf came out and ate the boy, and that's the end of the story. Telling that story to tell you this, I know, even in reading the Bible from days one, that when you read, even the disciples that were pinning the Scripture, they were saying that the Lord's return is approaching, that it's right around the corner, it's time. And most of my life, I don't know about you, but most of my life I grew up in mom and dad's home. I grew up in a Christian home. And the idea of the rapture was a prevalent thought pattern in my growing up. As a matter of fact, I went to Victory Christian School. And, you know, when we were there, they believed the philosophy, I believe, of scare the sin out of us. And so back in the 80s, there were these movies called Mark of the Beast, Distant Thunder. Do you guys remember these movies? The guys with the long lamb chops, big bell bottoms, and they were, it was a movie scenario set up with what happens when the Lord returns, and, you know, went through all the, the things, and I got to be honest with you, it scared the snot out of me. Most of my growing up life, I was so scared of the rapture, you have no idea, it was one of the greatest, I had more fear of the rapture than I had fear of getting caught doing something wrong by mom and dad. And so there would be a lot of days I would come home, I would open the front door, and a mom and dad's car would be outside, and I would yell, Mom, Dad, and if they didn't answer with the reply, instantly I would freak out thinking the rapture happened. So then I would run into the kitchen, pick up the phone, and I would dial Donald and Thelma's house, and if they didn't answer, I knew the Lord had come back. And so I would freak out and then end up walking outside, and Mom and Dad would be in the backyard working, and you know I'd be like, whoo, I didn't miss it. And so most of my life, I was raised around the fear of the Lord returning. Because one, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Two, um, I wasn't ready for him to come back. I hadn't met Jennifer. I hadn't had kids yet. I had all these plans and all these dreams. And so the rapture was a different thought pattern for me most of my life. But growing up and knowing more about the rapture now, I'm here to tell you, there is nothing that you have to be afraid of when it comes to talking about the rapture. As a matter of fact, there's not enough teaching on the rapture. Most people, when they, when you bring up the term rapture, it either brings in fear or brings in confusion. A lot of the church doesn't even believe in the doctrine of the rapture. But I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter whether I believe in gravity or not. If I step off the stage, I'm going to hit that ground because it is something God has put into place. And the rapture is a true event. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to receive his church. And we are closer now than we've ever been to the return of the Lord. And so I simply have a simple message today. I feel like the Lord come to tell me, for me to come tell you, number one, the rapture is coming. And you say, well, cricket, Lord, trying to scare us. No, I'm trying to encourage you. And hopefully over the next few minutes, I'll be able to lay that out for you the best I can. And there's also the thought of pattern. People don't know much about the rapture because it's such a complicated and uh, uh, foreign teaching of end times. i got to be honest with you. I've never preached or taught on end times until two years ago when, nine, when a coronavirus happened for the first time and our church shut down and we couldn't meet together for about six weeks. And when we were coming back together... I was praying, God, what do you want me to share? What do I need to start back off in? And the Lord started telling me to preach on end times. And i got to be honest with you. I've, out of all the people that are qualified to preach on end times, I'm probably the least. 
because I got to be honest with you, Revelation is a very complicated book. I mean, when you're reading through the seals and the, you know, the judgment, you're like, wow, what is all this? But I'm going to try to make it as simple for you today as I can. You know, there's a school of thought that doesn't believe that the rapture is actually an event. As a matter of fact, that they say the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, hopefully today I can change that opinion because it is in the Bible. And I want to share with you today also that the rapture is nothing to be afraid of. Now, getting left after the rapture is something you ought to be afraid of. But there's good news on that too. If I, I titled this last week, Rapture Ready, because I believe that you need to be ready for the return of the Lord. And I believe this, if you're not ready, you need to be ready for what's going to happen after the return of the Lord. So over the next few minutes, I hope I can just break this down for you. Say, Cricket, well, this is not a good revival message. This ain't going to fire me up. I want it to. I want you to know. And God's got such good things in store for us. We have no idea. But I don't want us to have to hear about the rapture after it takes place. Well, let's jump right into it. The doctrine of the rapture is actually one of our 16 fundamental beliefs here at the church. We believe 16 fundamental truths. And if you don't know what those are, you need to get a membership class. Pastor Donald says, Stemma, they teach it. They need to take you through it. But according to the prophetic calendar that just about every major theologian right now in the church world says is that every prophecy up to this point of in the Bible has come true or come about or been fulfilled except for the rapture of the church. That is the next prophetic event on the prophetic calendar. You say, Cricket, I don't believe necessarily in prophecy and end time stuff. Well, one third of the Bible is prophetic prophecy and toward end times events. So you're saying that you want to believe two-thirds of the Bible that maybe you can understand, but you want to leave one-third of it out. I'm telling you, you can't take the gospel without taking into consideration all the prophetic and prophecies that God's given us about our future. Because the entire story of the gospel is that you have a great future, that God's done things for you in the past that sets you up to have eternity with Him. That is the story of the gospel. And so you can't disregard end-time things just because maybe we don't understand them. So today we're going to talk about the next event in the Bible, which is called the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not a big word. It's, it's not hocus but it's actually where we get it from. We get it out of a Latin word, which means raptorus. It came raptorus. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible... Let me go ahead and read the Scripture to you, and then we'll get into it. It says, the first mention... But what we call the rapture is found in John 14, verse 1. And when you read this scripture, it's actually in red letters, so you, you can't deny that Jesus himself talked about this event. Jesus started off in John 14, 1, and I've used this scripture many, many times in preaching um, funerals. This is not a funeral scripture, although it brings hope when you're going through a funeral or someone you love has passed because... It tells us what our future will be. But Jesus actually mentions, he put this here, he mentioned what the rapture would be. He said, let not your heart be troubled. i got to be honest with you, most of the time, most of my life, when I heard about the rapture, when I saw the movies left behind, when I said, my heart got troubled about this, just mentioning that there's a chance that I couldn't be chosen or taken or called up by God, it worried me because I knew me. But the more I get to know God, I can understand this. I don't have to be 
troubled by this instance, I can know that if I believe in God, I don't have to be worried. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There it is, come again. It says, and receive you to myself. This is the first mention Jesus himself mentioned the rapture or the coming again and taking the church to himself that Jesus talked about. He says, and that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus himself began to talk about this coming again event and taking those that believed in God and believed in him with him. And so that's kind of a a uh, open thought pattern, but here in Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul begins to break down that event just a little bit better. He said this, But I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, I told the Adorated Church, that's a scripture Jennifer uses at me all the time. Me and her be talking, and she goes, You don't need to be ignorant about this thing and about other things in our life. But Paul sort of said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. In other words, Paul wants us to be aware of what God's plans are for our future and what your life is. It says, concerning those things who have fallen asleep. Now here he's referencing those that have already passed and went home to be with the Lord, those that have already died before these events. It says, least you sorrow like others who have no hope. In other words, we're fixing to start talking about the coming again, this, this event of Jesus coming to take us to him. And Paul said this, don't be ignorant. And then he's used the word hope meaning that this event, there's hope, all right? He said, so, for if you, we believe in Jesus, if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who are sleeping Jesus. He said, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, there's the coming of the Lord again, that taken away, come again, which is um, in the Latin Bible, it's the word, uh, rapturo, which where we get our word rapture. It says, For this I say to you that the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will be by no means precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that Rapturo word in the Greek, in the Latin Bible. You know, you know how many words we get from the Latin language that we pull into our root words come out of Latin words? For people to say that the word rapture is not in the Bible means we would have to discredit most of the English words that we use in our language because we pulled them out of different languages. And if you took a Latin Bible here today, the word rapturo would be right there where it says caught up. Do you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible? But how many of you guys believe there is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit? There is one God. Don't get caught up in arguments and things that make no sense. Jesus was very clear, and Paul goes into even more detail talking about an event that's going to take place. And we call it the rapture, but it basically comes down to Jesus is coming again to receive his bride. Here it goes, it says, if the voice of, our, and it says, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Every time Jesus mentioned the second coming of the Lord, he always said, don't let your heart be troubled or hope and courage. Paul here says, we should be able to talk about this event that's going to take place and it bring comfort to each one of us. My desire today is not to scare anything out of you. My desire today is to prepare you for what the Lord's about to do for you, your family, your loved ones, and everyone that you care about in your life. It said, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this thing. I want you to get ready. I believe today, more than ever, we need to be rapture ready and know what we're going toward. Now, first of all, I want to explain what the rapture is. The Bible says that it's a coming again. Jesus, after he ascended to heaven, he went to heaven and it says he's preparing a place for us. Now, you need to understand this. God and God doesn't waste time, energy, or effort. Everything is according to plan. And so Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. And when I go to prepare this place, I'm going to come back and take you. Somewhere in our future, somewhere on a morning, a day, an afternoon, just like when we woke up on 9-11, we had no idea an event was fixing to take place that would change the world. Somewhere in our future, there's going to be an event take place. You're going to get up or you're going to go to bed just like normal. And in that time, the Bible says that Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, said he's going to give a shout. Now, I've read and I've studied as many people as I could during this process to be able to share this as simply as I could. I want to draw a picture out for you what the rapture is going to look like. We're going to either wake up or we're going to be going to bed or we're going to be going through our day and there's going to be a shout. Jesus is going to shout. And when Jesus shouts here in the scripture, it says that with him, when he's coming, are going to be those that have already died here on the earth that have died before the return of the Lord. Their bodies have been buried in graves. We, everyone here that had a loved one or a believer in their life that has passed already at this point, you could go to where they're probably buried right now. And the Bible says this, that their body is there, but that's not where they are. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die here, your body is, is here. But instantly, when you die, you take your last breath. Your spirit is with the Lord. And if you're a believer, that's a good thing. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that for us to be absent by His presence with the Lord. There's even scientific evidence that you have a body, you live in a body, you have a mind, but you are a spirit. When they take people and lay them on a table and they're taking their last breath scientifically, they have measured and weighed people right before they die. And when they take their last breath and they exhale that last breath, even the physical weight of a body changes. They call it eight grams. There's an eight gram. So I was encouraged. I told Adelaide last week, I'm so excited about the rapture because the minute it happens, I'm going to go from being overweight to only weighing eight grams in heaven. That's awesome to me. But I don't have to worry about dieting no more or what, what I eat because the spirit weighs eight grams. They praise God. So when a person dies, their spirit leaves their body and it goes to be with the Lord instantly thing about it is this when jesus returns all of those that have died before now what's going to take place is the bible said here that they're going to come back with jesus and when they come back 
before we're caught up. The Bible says that they are going to come out, their bodies will be caught up out of that grave. You say, Cricket, now we're really talking about hokey pokey stuff. The rapture and the idea of the rapture is not a foreign concept. As a matter of fact, you've been taught about it most of your life, and we don't consider it to be odd because this is not the first rapture. Multiple times in the Bible, there's already taken place a rapture. As a matter of fact, when Enoch was taken up to the Lord, that was a rapture. When Elijah was taken up in a chariot, that was a rapture. When Jesus ascended to heaven, that was a rapture. This is not a foreign concept. There's going to be a day in our future that there's going to be another rapture. And Jesus, the Bible says, is going to come back and he's going to take us to him in the sky. So it's a good thing. It's not a crazy thing. But the Bible says that those that are dead or are asleep will rise first. You say, well, why must they go first? Well, because your future in heaven and eternity is not going to be you sitting on a cloud in heaven and playing a harp. Man, heaven is a very active place. As a matter of fact, every time you see in the Bible a glimpse of heaven, things are taking place. As a matter of fact, when Jacob laid his head on earth and had a dream and he saw heaven, it says angels are ascending and descending. Man, you think you're busy now. You wait till we get to heaven. Man, we're going to be so busy doing things and getting to be a part of things. And man, life does not stop here. Life was built for eternity. God created us for eternity. But the thing about it is, these bodies that we're in, they were made for earth dwelling, made for earth living. But in the future, you're not made to just live on earth. You're going to be, as a matter of fact, if you go forward and read it in time, you're going to be coming back and forth here quite a bit. You're going to be busy. You're going to be doing it. So these bodies that we have will no longer sustain what we're able to. We won't be able to take this body to heaven. So when the Bible says that, when the Lord comes back, the first thing that's going to happen is the dead in Christ rise first. And it's not going to be their, their skeleton bodies climbing up out of a grave or dust and rot coming out. No, they're going to come and get their glorified bodies. I'll show you here in just a second. I'm just going to draw your picture, then we'll get into the Scripture reference. Instantly, their glorified bodies, their heavenly new bodies are going to come. You say, well, Cricket, what does that body look like? Well, Jesus showed us kind of like what that body will look like. When he was risen from the dead, he came back in a body, and it was a glorified body. And his body had the scars of what had happened to him here, but it had supernatural abilities. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, when they were walking down a road with the disciples, he was there one second, and one second he was gone. Man, he was able to just transport wherever he went. Then another place says that the disciples were in a house, and the door was closed, and Jesus walked through the door. But yet they could touch him in that room. There's a glorified body, and God is going to give every... He's going to create a heavenly, a glorified body for every saint that has passed. So it brings up the question... Well, what about those that were cremated? What about those that died at sea? What about you got to understand, man, God's way bigger, way bigger than even anything we can imagine or think. You don't got to worry. God's word will be true. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says they will go first, and then instantly they go first, then we go. And the question is, well, how do we go? Well, I was listening to Tony Evans. Um, I love brother tony he's probably one of the most well-respected ministers in the bible and this is what he was talking about this event he said you know there in the scripture it talks about jesus comes back and he gives a shout but then it says the archangel the one there with him gives a shout as well 
And then he brought up the scripture where in Psalms 91 it says that he will give his angels charge around about you to keep you in all of your ways. Now, again, I'm quoting Tony. He said, this is what he believes is going to happen. He said, when Jesus and the archangel and the saints come back, he said, Jesus is going to look over at his archangel, which is ahead of all the angels, the boss, and he's going to say, get them. And the archangel is going to look down at the angels that are surrounding you and your family members and all your loved ones down. He's going to say, get them. And their angels that are with you everywhere you go are going to take hold of you and snatch you up in the air in the twinkling of an eye. And at that very moment, your body will be transformed to the glorified heavenly body just as Jesus had. Because we'll show you in the scripture, Jesus said, I'm going to bring you, you, I'm going to, bring you to me and you're going to be just like me. Our bodies will be transformed. Hey, I'm here to tell you, that's good news. That knee that's been bothering you, it's no more going to bother you. That headache, those problems, those limitations, your sickness, you may be here today and you've got cancer in your mortal body. Cancer will be dealt with. There will be no more sickness, no more disease. You will be completely transformed in the twinkling of an eye. You will have a glorified body and you will be snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. Is God going to come all the way back down? No. He's going to pull us up there. It's going to be a rapture. And we're going to meet Him, the Bible says, in the air. Now you say, Cricket, why are you telling us all this? I'm going to hopefully, to the best of my ability, explain this to you, why we need to know this. Number one, why the rapture, you need to know it, and why it has to happen is because Jesus said it. When Jesus said it, There's no going back. Everything that Jesus says has to be true. If the rapture were not going to take place, and Jesus said it in John 4, that means my sins can't be forgiven. That means, because the Bible says that God cannot lie. So he's not a man that he can lie. Everything that he said must come true. The rapture was such a big enough deal to God that, like I told you, one-third of the Bible's written about prophecy and end time events building up to it. And every prophecy up to this point has come true to the letter. Number, next thing is you need to know this, the return of Jesus is mentioned 329 times in your scripture. In the Bible, 329 times, the Bible mentions Jesus' return. The second most taught doctrine in the New Testament, besides saved by grace is the return of Jesus and the rapture of the church. Now, we agree that, yes, that's an amazing thing. We definitely need to put focus on God will save by grace. And thank God we are saved by grace. But the thing about it is, you need to know, the reason why you were saved by grace is to get you ready for the rapture. It's the second most taught doctrine in the New Testament. The New Testament has 216 chapters. Out of those, 318 verses mention the return of Jesus. You can't accept what the Bible teaches without taking into consideration that the Lord is returning. Out of 23 books in the New Testament, or 27 books in the New Testament, 23 of them mention the return of the Lord. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament deal with or prophesy Jesus will return. Why do you need to know? Why do we need to be rapture ready? Because God went through a lot of trouble to make sure we knew as much about it as we possibly could. Number two, why do you need to know? Why do we need to talk about and be ready for the rapture? Because Jesus loves us so much. He went through so many things just to be able to reignite you and me with him. Why has the rapture got to take place? 
Because Jesus came for it. He came so that he could have relationship back with you and me. So he's coming. It has to take place because it is the way that we will be reunited with the Lord. There in John 4 it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. In the Jewish language, that is what they call wedding speech. Wedding speech is when a what the, the practices that the Jewish people took when it came to being married. This scripture is written in a tradition and practice of a way a Jewish marriage is taking place. That means the return of the Lord, the rapture, is something that a bride or a, a groom desires so greatly as just as a, a, bride, a groom desires a bride. Here he said this. He said, I've got to go away, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come back. In Jewish culture, when, you, when a young man found a woman that he wanted to marry, the procedures went like this. He went to the bride's father's house and he paid what was called a bride's price. I told the church in El Dorado, this was a negotiation that you did not want to Jew anybody down on. If he said 10000 don't offer two. Let him have ten because this will affect your future for sure. But he, you go to the bride or the bride's father and you offer a price. They agree upon a price and the groom at that point pays the price. Then they sit down together in Jewish tradition and they take a glass of wine and they both take a drink of that glass of wine and then the groom is to say, I will not take a drink of this wine again. I will not drink from this cup again until I return. And he sets the glass down. Doesn't that sound familiar? Have you not heard somebody else say that before? He said, he sets it down and he goes away and he goes back to his father's house and he either builds a an apartment or a house on the father's property or he adds a room to the house and the bride can, the groom cannot return for his bride in tradition unless the father signs off on the work has been complete and so when jesus said nobody knows the day nor the hour except for my father because in jewish tradition the father the groom couldn't say yep this is good enough and take off because I believe I was got married one day. I remember on my wedding day, I wasn't caring too much about how straight my tie was. I wasn't caring about how straight my pants were. I was ready to get up to the altar and get on to the honeymoon. But my dad and my parents, they made sure I looked good for the pictures and all that before we stepped out on that stage. Because, see, grooms get so excited about receiving their bride. I believe today in heaven, Jesus is just waiting on the edge of his seat to come. But it says he can't come till the Father signs off on it. And no one knows the time. But dad, and when the dad would walk into that room and he would inspect it and look around and say, yep, it's ready. Go get her. The groom would take off running to receive his bride. We are there. We are right now standing at the moment in time that Jesus is getting everything prepared. You say, well, Cricket, how do you know if we don't know the day or the hour? Well, if you get, if you've, uh, if you've been pregnant, I've never been pregnant, but my wife has been a few times and I went to a lot of doctor's appointments with her. And while we were there, you know, we would go in and we would take a test and the test would show that she was pregnant. And at that moment, the doctor couldn't look at Jen and say, hey, that baby's going to be born on this day, at this time, at this moment, this hour, this second. But what he could do was look at her and he saw the signs. He saw that as her belly began to grow and her ankles began to swell 
and her attitude began to adjust. We knew we were getting very close to there being a baby born. And although a doctor, a trained professional, could not have told us exactly when, as a matter of fact, there came a day he said, y'all need to go get your bags ready. How many of you guys have, have been in that spot where the doctor told you, you need to get your bag ready because you're getting very, very close? I'm here to tell you, the Lord has me here today to tell you, you need to get your bag ready. We're closer than we've ever been before. The return of Jesus is going to happen. And although we can't tell you the exact moment and the exact time, we can tell you this. Every sign through the entire world, you can, you can turn on the news right now and it doesn't do anything but point toward the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus, whether you're watching world news, what's going on in Afghanistan, or you're watching what's happening in New Orleans today, you are seeing the signs that the baby is about to be born. Jesus is about to return. So why does it need to take place? It needs to take place because Jesus, it can't wait to come back and take his bride. Number two, three, why do you need to know? Why do we need to talk about it? Why do we need to tell you to get rapture ready? It's because God wants you to be saved from the events and the wrath, the Bible says, that is to come. Now, I want to read this to you. It's in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. It says this, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, we have all lived... I'm going to take this off. We have all lived in a time of grace. And in this time of grace we've been living, God has been so good to us. But you need to understand something. There's a time that's about to change. There's going to be a time where the grace will no longer be what controls what's going on here. The Bible says there's a wrath to come. But I want to read this to you. Luke chapter 17 says this. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of the heaven under shines to the other part of the heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. As it is written in those days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came to destroy them all. Likewise, as it also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went up to Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It says, In that day... He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will perceive it. I tell you that the night there will be two. One in a bed. There will be two in a bed. One will be taken. The other will left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken. The other left. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. The other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. You need to know there's a wrath coming to this earth. There's events going to take place, Jesus said, that are going to be so terrible. He calls it the tribulation. The great tribulation. There's going to be events take place on this earth that Jesus said... That if God didn't stop it, that no man would survive. But it's not God's will for you to go through any of that. 
God is not a, Jesus is not a wife beater. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says when God looked down on the earth and the earth was so wicked that he was done with it all, it says that he had to pull his righteous ones out, Noah. They prepared an ark. And the Bible says when they went into that ark, the Lord sealed that ark, and the rain and the judgment of God began to fall, and the ark went up above the judgment. The Bible says like in the days of Lot, that when the city of Sodom and Gomorrah had turned so far from what they were created to do, that the wrath of God couldn't be stopped unless there were enough righteous people, but not everyone had turned. And so God wasn't going to punish the righteous with the unrighteous. So he sent the angels into Sodom and Gomorrah and they led Lot and his family out. And it says up into the hills. It was and they were above Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of God fell. I'm here to tell you, God hasn't changed from the way he does it. Before things get so bad on this earth, God's going to come and take his church. He's going to take them above. He's not going to have his wife, his bride, his church go through what the wrath of God says. It says he took them above. So it has to happen because God is going to save us from the wrath. This is my concern. When you read the story of Lot and his wife, they walked with the Lord. They knew the Lord. They served the Lord. But it got time for the judgment of God to come and God sent a way for them to escape. He sent the angels to get them out. And as they were on their way out, Lot's wife turned back. Man, I tell you, if I've ever seen anything make people turn back, COVID has made people turn back. I've known people that have walked with the Lord for the last 20, 30 years, served the Lord, parts of churches, in serving God. But then all of a sudden, COVID happens and man, you can't get them out of bed on Sunday morning. You can't get them to read their Bible. You can't, they have, they look back and the Bible says Lot was wife turned to a pillar of salt. She was stuck there for eternity. Here to tell you, it's not God's will for you to get this far and be left. It's not God's will for you to get this far and turn back. Man, don't let what's happening in the world draw your attention away from God getting you to where he's created you to be. And that's back with him. Closing real quick. Why must he come back? Because he's going to come back and get the glorified bodies of those that have already passed. The faithful that got in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, don't want you to be ignorant. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it says, Now I say to you, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These bodies weren't made for it. It says, Nor does corrupt inherit incorruptible. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. What's going to take place is this. When the Lord comes and He calls that shout, and your angel grabs hold of you and jerks you, and your body transforms, it's going to happen so quick. Here the Bible calls it a twinkling of an eye. They've measured it out, and they believe that a twinkling of an eye, in other words, how long it takes light to reflect off of an eyeball, is one-fifteenth of a second. If you're waiting to get your life right before when you hear God call, you're going to miss it. You don't got time. He comes back, like the Bible said, like a thief in the night. He's not stealing from the church. He's stealing the church from the world. Can you imagine what this world is going to be like when every good-hearted person on this planet is gone? I want to show you what rapture can look like. We're watching on the news every day what's taking place in the, over in Afghanistan. We came in and we removed 2,500 American soldiers in one day. And the whole nation went insane. We had to send 6,000 soldiers back just to try to get control and we came. Do you know what's going to happen to this planet 
when every good-hearted, spirit-filled person is taken away instantly, how the people, how the hearts of men are going to turn the, the, the way the world and just the people are going to react. Not even the judgments that are to come, but just the way the people on this planet are going to begin to respond. You don't want to miss the twinkle. And if you're waiting for the twinkle, you've waited too late. You need to make sure right now that you are rapture ready. Number five, it says the rapture has to happen because God's not going to let the devil keep doing what he's doing. He is going to be defeated. And the Bible says that he's got to come and take the church out so that he can deal with the devil. At the end of all this, the Bible, I want you to know, the devil is defeated. He is defeated. He gets put into hell. And he must stay there for eternity. The rapture's got to take place so that God can finish the deal with the devil. Number six, it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. I tell you, there's going to be a lot of Buddhists. There's going to be a lot of Muslims, a lot of Mormons that have questioned, is Jesus really real? And there will be no doubt on the day of the rapture. Now, they're probably going to say that it's UFOs have come and snatched people off the planet. That's why I believe, look at the signs. You can turn on the news and even the United States government and almost every government around the world is showing now proof and evidence that there are U- there are UFOs that we cannot explain taking place. They've always kept this hid. They're revealing it now. Why? Because the signs are getting closer. Now, you need to know why this is important. The reason why it's important is you need to know because God never intended for you to miss it. Now, let me tell you this. To be rapture ready simply means that right now you give your life under the lordship of Jesus. In other words, you just don't get saved. You don't ask Jesus into your heart. That's not even in the Bible. What you do is you give your life to Jesus for him to be the Lord of your life. In other words, you let him be Lord. You say, God, I'm yours. I believe you died. You rose again. And I give myself to you and I ask you to Lord my life. You let me live the way you want me to live. You empower me to live the way you want me to live. You let him lord your life and you'll be rapture ready. But if you don't want to do that now, let me let you know what to do the day after the rapture. You can still get saved after the rapture. The Bible has a lot of evidence in it talking about, yes, after the rapture takes place, you can get saved, but you're going to go through a lot of hell before you get a chance to get out of here. As a matter of fact, when it describes the great tribulation, the Bible says there's going to be a time that people are going through so much that men are going to beg to die, but they won't be able to. There's going to be a season that people are going to be going through such things that they're going to want to die, but they won't be able to die. There's going to be the rise of the Antichrist. You're actually going to see what the spirit of the Antichrist looks like. And he's going to convince the world that he's good the whole time he's leading them to hell. He's going to put out a mark that he's going to have people taken. You know, the mark is not the COVID shot. I'm just telling you that right now. Because they did not get the Bible says the mark of the beast will be on my right hand or on my forehead. It will be his name, his number, or it will be uh, the mark of the beast. So it's not in my arm. When they gave me a shot in my arm, I did not get the um, mark of the beast on my hand. If they would have tried to stick me in my hand, I probably would have hit them. If they would have tried to stick me in my forehead, they would have still been laying on the floor now. That's not the mark of the beast, but there is a mark coming. And if you receive it, the Bible says that you will never, ever get to go to heaven. You will be damned for hell for eternity. So I need to make sure you're rapture ready. These are the three things I felt like the Lord told me to take. Number one, I need to tell you the Lord is coming back. You have to believe it. Number two, you need to be ready 
for the rapture, either before. Give your lordship of your life to the Lord now, or you need to do it after. But don't you play games anymore. If it takes one-third of the world being taken for you to believe and finally sell out to this thing, then you do it the day after. And I believe every church in the world will be so packed to the brim of people saying, I'm ready now, I'm ready now, but it's going to be too late, but they can still make it to heaven. They're just going to go through all the hell that's going to take place here. But then at the end of the, of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus returns for the second coming, then you'll be given a chance if you've given your heart to there. But if you receive the mark, you go in the third day, don't take the mark. Now, I'm going to throw something real quick. I'm going to try to do this in two minutes. I believe we're closer than we've ever been before. Everything in the Bible points toward the day that's about to approach. As a matter of fact, even in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 23, when God told the children of Israel to partake and perceive and do these these things, He gave them seven feasts He told them to participate in forever. He said, do these seven things every year forever. Do it. And when you get into the teaching, the, the words for these feasts actually means dress rehearsal. Do this every time in rehearsal. These are the seven. First, there was Passover. Then there was the unleavened bread. Then there's first fruits. Then there's Pentecost. Then there's Rosh Hashanah. Then there's the Day of Atonement. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. Out of those seven feasts, there are four in the spring, and there are three in the fall. These seven feasts that they were doing in the Old Testament represent God's timeline for our future. Everything points back to Jesus in the Bible. And it's not coincidence, it's actually prophecy that on Passover, they celebrated for hundreds of years when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were protected by the blood of the Lamb. That was the exact day that hundreds of years later, Jesus died on the cross. So the first feast represented the death of Jesus. Unleavened bread happened seven days after. Was the moment that Jesus died, the next day began the feast of unleavened bread. What did it represent? It represented that the sin was taken out for the world. If you, if you participated in that feast, sin was forgiven. You were washed clean. Number three was the first fruits. The first fruits happened three days after the Passover. It is when Jesus was resurrected hundreds of years later on that day. And the New Testament says that Jesus was the first fruits in 1 Corinthians. Number four was Pentecost. Fifty days after Passover, they celebrated Pentecost. And that was the day. To the day. Read it. Acts chapter 2. It says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit came and the birth of the church took place. In the prophetic timeline of the seven feasts, the next one to happen is Rosh Hashanah, which the Jews celebrate their new year, the beginning of new. Another word for it is the Feast of Trumpets. Now it happens in September, the seventh month of every year. Seven is the number of perfection or completion. Paul said this, that the Lord will return on the day of the last trump, when the last trump is blown. Many scholars and theologians believe that the Lord's going to come back during the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. The thing about it is, see, the Jews do days different than we do them, that we do days a.m., p.m. If you read in Genesis, it says it was the evening, morning, the first day. The Jews start celebrating the new day at the setting of the day before. And so on the evening of Rosh Hashanah, no one knows the time of the hour because it comes to the setting of the sun 
the Feast of Trumpets begin. It's a two-day festival. This year, it actually takes place September 6th and goes through September 8th. The setting of the sun starts Rosh Hashanah, which is the next prophetic calendar of the Jewish prophecies. This year, it's, it's amazing. Can I just throw some really crazy stuff out at you? All right, the only prophecy not fully fulfilled in the scripture before the returning of the Lord is where the scripture in Isaiah says that, that the Lord, that when Israel becomes a nation, the generation will not pass before it sees the end of days. That's the only one they don't know about. Well, the question is, well, how long is a generation? In 1948, Israel became a nation. Well, what is a generation? Well, David said a generation was 70 years if strength, 80. So 70 years would have been 2019. Well, the Lord didn't come back. If you add the 80 to the 1948, you come up with 2028. 2028 would be what David called the generation. We say, well, cricket, then we got some more time. Well, if you're doing by that math, well, it said the end of days, meaning the end of the tribulation. It means you got to take seven years off of the 2028, which brings us to 2021. We're living in the last days like never before. You say, Cricket, is it going to happen this year? i got to be honest with you. I can't tell you that because when I was a teenager, there was a book that came out called 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Going to Come Back in 88. And I got to be honest with you, it scared the snot out of me. I was so scared, but I made sure that during Rosh Hashanah of 88, I was just a teenager, that I got rid of my Bell Bib DeVoe tape. I got rid of anything that in my room that I shouldn't have been having because I wasn't going to miss it, but it didn't come and go. I can't tell you the Lord's going to come back, but the Bible says you will see the signs. And I'm telling you, we are seeing signs around the world right now saying that Jesus is about to return. Now, you say, well, great, Cricket, I'll just wait till sunset. Monday, Memorial Day. Well, Israel, if God runs off America time, that would work. If God runs off Israel time, there's seven hours before us. I mean, you don't know where, you don't know when, but I'm here to tell you, the Lord said, get rapture ready today. And if you're not going to get rapture ready today, and you decide to wait till the day's old, till the rapture takes place, I need to get you ready. Don't take the mark. Start watching preppers right now. Figure out how to survive when the world is over. Start doing everything you can do. Hide as many Bibles and bury as much water as you can possibly bury because things are going to get bad. And God doesn't want you to have to go through these things. God wants to save you from the wrath to come. Fourthly, or seventhly, why do we need to teach this? Is this reason. It says that this hope that we have is to purify us. God told us about the rapture so that we would live holy before Him. So that we would know that He wants us to be with Him. And that if we'll just live the way He's asked us to live, we don't have to worry. It becomes an encouragement and a hope. This is the scary part for me. If you're rapture ready today, if He's the Lord of your life, that scripture He said in Luke 17 said this, there's going to be two laying in bed. That means, in my mind, a husband and a wife. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left. It says there's going to be two grinding together, two friends. Women got together in those days to do their chores together so they could build relationship. There's going to be two friends. You've got a friend. You may be ready today, but you've got a friend that's going to be left when you're taken. 
It says there's going to be two men work in the field. You've got a co-worker that you work right beside every single day that's going to be left here after the rapture. You may be completely rapture ready, but what the Lord asked me to ask you is this. Are you willing to leave your wife behind? Are you willing to leave your husband behind? Or is there a friend that you got that you don't care enough about to leave here to go through all that's going to take place that God wants to save them out of? Is there a co-worker that you work with that you know that He's cool, but, you know, it's just not worth me inviting to go to church with me. Or it's not worth the effort that you're willing to let go through what's going to take place and take the chance. Is there a family member, a loved one, a relationship that you would be willing to take a chance to go through things that will get so bad that they'd be willing to take a mark on their hand and damn their soul for eternity? Got to be honest with you. I don't want anybody I know to be left because I don't know if they'll make it through what's to come. So I'm just going to ask you today, are you rapture ready? Are you ready to go? And is there anybody in your life that you know that you'd be willing to leave behind? Because God gave us enough information about this that we don't have to leave anybody here. Can I pray with you real quick? And I'm done. I'm over. I'm praying. If you're here and you say, Cricket, I need to be rapture ready for myself. I want to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. Simply pray with me. Say, Dear Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for allowing him to die on the cross for me and pay for my sin. Thank you for going through so much trouble for hundreds of years to let me know what's about to take place that I can be saved out of it. And I ask you from this day forward to be Lord of my life. Save me and prepare me to be taken for you. And Lord, I ask you to put a burning desire inside of my heart to not let one single loved one I have be left behind. God, use me to make the one in the field aware. Use me to let the one grinding the grain be aware. Use me to influence my husband and my wife in a way that there's no way they're going to be left. Use me to have my children influence where they do not have to go through what is to come. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, don't be scared. Be encouraged. Life's about to be amazing. I believe the Lord is coming back.